The other day, <laughs> the other day I was driving down the road. I was on the highway. Was he, I can't remember if it was either 495 or, two, or the toll road. And I was in the left lane. It was the toll road is what it was. I was driving down the toll road, and I was in the left lane. And as I was driving, I was going somewhat fast. I was in the left lane, obviously. And I noticed that there was a sign that was knocked down. I don't know how this happened, but it was a sign that it seemed like, like somebody hit it in the middle and it was just kind of bent like this. So I could see the back of the sign, but I couldn't see what was the front of that sign, and it was in the left lane right there. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I wonder what's on that sign. I wonder what that sign says. And then very quickly, a few seconds later, I figured out exactly what the sign said. The sign said, lane ends, merge right. <laughs> and how I figured that out was because there was a big 18-wheeler who was in the lane right next to me. My lane was ending. He was right next to me, and he seemed to be in no concern of merging into my lane, so I figured out quickly I was the one that needed to get into his lane, but no worries. I'm still, I'm still driving the old 2011 Hyundai Sonata. Still got a little kick in her. Okay, I jammed on the gas, and that V4 kicked in, and I went right past that, that, that 18-wheeler, and I was safe and sound. But it made me realize something which is very intuitive, okay, for all of us, something that you naturally know, but signs are an important part of life. It's important that there are signs. Signs, when you're driving, tell you which roads you can go on, which roads you can't go on, which roads go this way, which roads go that way. They tell you the name of the road when you're looking for it. They tell you how fast you can go on those roads. Signs are important. It's not just signs on the road. The other day, just yesterday, I was actually visiting someone in the hospital. And when you go to the hospitals at Fairfax Hospital, there's a million different rooms and wings, things like that. I didn't know how to get to where I needed to get to. What helped me get there was the, the signs. They told me which wing, they told me go this direction, they told me the room number, and then they told me once I got there where the nearest bathroom was, okay, that I could proceed to after I visited the person in the hospital. Signs are an important part of life, agree with me, and without them, life would be chaos. If there was no signs on the road, it would be chaos. If there was no signs in the hospital, it would be chaos. If there's no signs, signs give things order, and signs, therefore, are a good thing. Agree with me? We're in part three of our series called Fearless, the Story of Gideon. And what we, if, if you've been joining us so far, sorry, this thing is not working for me, so I might need a little help on that. Yeah, sorry. We're in part three of our series called Fearless, the Story of Gideon. And if you've been following so far, what you've seen is, is that we are talking about Gideon as this great hero. I've been promising you from the start that Gideon is a great hero who's going to do something great for the kingdom of God. And what we've seen so far is God comes to Gideon and says to him, Gideon, you are going to be a mighty man of valor. You are going to deliver my people from the enemies, the Midianites. And it sounds like it's something that's going to be great. But if you've been following along so far, you haven't seen much hero from Gideon. Because Gideon's problem is that he's actually the opposite of a hero when we meet him. He's a scaredy cat. He's hiding away in the cave because he's afraid of those very enemies. And everything about Gideon screams fear. But that's why God comes to him. And God says, don't worry, Gideon. I'm with you. And I'm going to defeat the Midianites through you. You're going to be the one to save the people. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. And then Gideon says, give me a sign. How do I know that you're really with me? How do I know that you're even God? Like, I don't know who you are. Like, you just showed up here. So God, because he knows that Gideon needs it, gives him a sign. And that's what we saw at Judges chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. Says, if now I have found favor in your sight, show me a sign. That's what Gideon says. Show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. 
And he, capital H meaning God, said, I will wait until you come back. We read this last week. Gideon says, how do I know that you're actually God? How do I know that you are who you say you are? So he says, I want a sign. So God says, sure, let's do a sign. So basically what we, saw, what we see is that Gideon goes inside his house, brings out some meat, brings out some bread, makes some kind of stew thing, whatever, puts it on a rock. And then God says, okay, you're done preparing the stew that we're going to eat together? And Gideon's like, yes. And then God, boom, fire consumes it. So then Gideon's like, okay, fire from heaven consumes the stew. He must be the real deal. And Gideon says in verse 22, now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord, capital A. Okay, we saw that is the pre-incarnate Christ. So Gideon said, alas, Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Translation, I know you're the real deal. Okay, I know that you are who you say you are. You are God. I've seen God. I know exactly. I'm convinced. So Gideon says to God, okay, I know that you're God. What's the first thing we do? And God says to him, the mission begins not outside, but inside. We saw this last week. The mission to save the nation doesn't begin outside with the enemies, begins inside with the enemies. Go to your house, get rid of the idol that your dad is worshiping. Gideon does that. He kills that idol statue. And then God says, you're a great man. And he changes his name. He gives him a new name. He gives him the name Jerubbaal, which means the contender, the fighter of Baal. So Gideon was given a new name, even though, important point, he was the same person inside. He was given the name the fighter, even though he was still a scaredy cat inside. But he was given it not because the fear went away, but because he acted in obedience. This is all review of what we talked about last week. Because we saw last week that courage is not the removal of fear, but obedience in the face of that fear. Because obedience trumps feelings. Doesn't matter how you feel, it matters how you behave. Doesn't matter if I enjoy fasting or not fasting. It matters what do I order when I'm at the restaurant. Obedience trumps feelings. You do to be courage, you don't have to have no feelings of fear, but you have to move forward in obedience despite that fear. That's where we left the story last week. Gideon ended last week shining. Gideon was in a good place. Gideon did the right thing. God gave him a new name. Now everything is ready. Everything is lining up. And Gideon is saying, okay, let's roll, God. Let's do this thing. And it's a good thing that Gideon was thinking that because what we're going to see today is you know who else is ready to roll? God is ready to roll. Gideon is ready to roll. You know who else is ready to roll? The enemies, the Midianites, they're ready as well. Chapter 6, verse 33, here's our story for today. <clears throat> then all the Midianites and the Amalekites, the people of the east, gathered together, and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. Now, for those who were here week one, or for those who weren't here week one, just as a reminder, the Midianites, they were the bad guys at the time. And what they would do every year at the time of the harvest is they would come into Israel and they would pillage and ravage the land. So every year at harvest time, the Israelites would work all the spring, all the summer, all the winter to prepare for the harvest in the fall and they would be able to reap their fruit. But what happened is the Midianites would come in and they would steal as much crops as they could and take it home with them and anything they couldn't carry, they would destroy on the way out light it on fire, destroy the thing. And this had happened not one year, not two years, not three years, but how many years? Seven years in a row they had come in. And now what we see here in verse 33 is God came to Gideon, let's go Gideon, we can do this. And Gideon's like, yeah. But then all of a sudden, the enemy stood up and said, now it's our time to, to come and pillage the land. So let, let's see how Gideon responds during this time. Verse 34, 
But the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet, and the Abizrites gathered behind him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also gathered behind him. He also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulon, and Naphtali, and they came up to meet them. So this is good, okay? Because in years past, the enemies come, Gideon does what? Hide and run for his life. But this time, the enemy started lining up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven years. Eighth time is going to be the best one. That's the real, going to be the good one. It's the eighth year. So here they come to line up. And what does Gideon do? He calls the surrounding regions and says, okay, guys, let's go. Let's fight. Let's defend our land. Let's defend our people. And we learn in the next chapter that he ends up rallying 32,000 soldiers and fighters who are ready to go. This is a huge step for Gideon. Good for you, Gideon. And at this point, you're tempted to think, all right, now we're going to see Gideon the hero. Gideon has turned the corner and was going to be smooth sailing from here on out. Well, not exactly. Because Gideon, like every one of us, has times where he doubts. And we've all been there. We've all been in a time where God told us to do something. We're convinced he told us to do it. We're convinced it's going to work. But, you know, and that's what we see in this next verse here with Gideon. Verse 36. So Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And I'm reading this and you're reading this and you're thinking to yourself, Gideon, Gideon, why, 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 why? We, why are we going backwards? Like just a minute ago, we knew he was God. We knew he's going to save. Like, why are we going backwards? He's already given us two signs. He gave you the sign when he called you, and then he gave you the sign just a minute ago. Like, why are we going backwards? I want you to look, okay? Look at, look at this, and, and look at Gideon's words. There's specifically two things that Gideon is questioning. Two things, but I think one more than the other. There's two parts to Gideon's question. Gideon says, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. There's two parts there. Number one, if you will save Israel. And number two, if you will save them how? By my hand. So there's two parts to this story. If you will save Israel, and if it'll be by my hand. I think, and we'll see this in a little bit especially. I think that of the two, Gideon didn't question the first, he questioned the second. I don't think Gideon questioned God. I don't think Gideon questioned, God's going to save Israel. Of course, he's God. He's already proven he's God. He's going to do it. I think Gideon, like, so, like, let's be honest, this is us. Gideon knew exactly what God wanted to do. But Gideon looked in the mirror and said, me? Like, are you sure this is going to come through me? Like, we've all been there. Like, are you sure, God, like, there's not someone more qualified for this? Are you sure, God, like, you want me to do that job? You want me to have that conversation? You want me to talk to that person? You want me to take that step? Like, are you sure it's me? Like, it's, it's got to be someone more qualified than me. So what Gideon does, he invents this funny little game. He invents a game which says, okay, God, here's how we're going to do it. And we're going to put this fleece, and we're going to put it outside. And we're going to test you to see if you are who you say you are. You're going to do what you say you're going to do through me. So he says, 
if there's dew on the fleece only and all dry all around. So imagine I would put like a fleece. Okay, imagine you take your, your, your jacket, okay, your nice fleece jacket, you throw it on the lawn. You wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning, you would expect there would be dew on the grass and dew on the fleece, dew all around. But Gideon says, the only way I'll do what you're telling me to do and trust is if there's dew on the fleece and not dew on the ground. And God plays along with his little game. Okay, Gideon. And so it was when he rose early in the next morning and he squeezed the fleece together and he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. So just like, remember in the New Testament when Thomas doubted Jesus after the resurrection and said, I will never believe unless you touch. And we're like, Thomas, you should believe. Jesus is like, it's okay. He's like, okay, we'll, we'll play the game. He meets us where we are. It's okay, Thomas, you can touch. He does the same thing with, with Gideon. Gideon, I'm not going to believe unless the fleece and the thing, okay, we'll give you the fleece. We'll make it soaking. We'll make it a bowl full. That's okay, Gideon. God plays along, and he meets Gideon where he's at. Now, Gideon, that's enough. You got the sign and the calling. You got the sign with the beef stew thing. You got the sign of the fleece. You wake up in the morning. You see the fleece. You say, thank you, God. I'm so sorry I doubted. Forgive me. Let's go fight the Midianites. That's what he should say, right? Our boy Gideon has a better idea, verse 39. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. So he knows what he's saying is not good. Do not be angry with me. But let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. He's hung up on this fleece thing, okay? He's really fixated on this fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece. But on all the ground, let there be dew. Do you realize what Gideon is saying? God did the thing. You know what Gideon in essence said? He said, double or nothing. <laughs> Two out of three. You did this, and this was really nice. But God, that was, that was easy. Like anybody can make it do only on the fleece. But why don't we see if you can make it only not do on the fleece? So it was like the inverse, like do all around and not on the fleece. And you're thinking to yourself, like, come on. Now, before we see how God responds, let's pause right here. One of the most abused, abused ideas in all of Christianity is exactly this, which is the, how do I know God wants? God, if this is what you want, give me a, give me a sign. Because we, we, and when I say we, I mean you and me, are masters at something called self-deception. Self-deception. You know what self-deception is? Self-deception means there's something that you convince yourself of that everyone else knows is not really true. You're kind of deceiving yourself. And this is very obvious to see. Does anybody here, no, no raising of hands, but you can just nod your head. Does anyone know somebody who thinks they're really funny and they're not so funny? Self-deception. Anybody know somebody who thinks they can sing really well and they can't really sing very well? There's a lot of pointing happening. I'm not really sure what's happening right here. That's self-deception. Once upon a time, there was an overweight guy who needed to lose some weight. And he went to the doctor, and the doctor said, you need to go on a strict diet, my man, because it's not good what's happening to you. And he took it very serious, and he started to get himself in order, and he gave up the sweets, okay, and he gave up the, the junk food, and he even started changing his route to work because he used to always drive by this bakery, and the bakery tempted him so much. So he changed his route to work so he wouldn't have to drive by the bakery. He went a different way to get there so he wouldn't be tempted by the sweets at the bakery. One morning, he comes into the office. 
He's got a cinnamon roll in one hand. He's got a cheese Danish in the other. And all of his coworkers are like, what happened? What happened to the diet? What happened? So he said, I accidentally took the wrong route to work. And I was driving by that same bakery, and it was all by accident, and I asked God for a sign. I asked God for a sign. I said, God, if there's a parking spot right in front of the bakery, that means that's a sign that you want me to go in. And sure enough, after the eighth trip around the block, there was the parking spot. <laughs> We've all been there. We've all been there. We've all been in a place because we're self-deception. We've all been in a place where, God, if you want me to, then make this. And if you don't want me to, then don't make this. How about the, if the light turns red, then God doesn't want me to go to church. If God wanted me to go to church, the light wouldn't have turned red. Or he wouldn't have taken away an hour from me. He took away the hour means he wanted, God didn't, if God wanted, he'd make all the lights green. If God wanted me to, to do this, he'd make it easy. How about the, well, if God didn't want me to drink, he wouldn't have had that person offer me the drink. Couldn't embarrass them. They're called a bartender. That's their job to offer you the drink. <laughs> if God didn't want me to take this step, then he wouldn't have made it so attractive. He wouldn't have made it so easy. If God did want me to do this, he wouldn't have made it so hard. Really? Is that how God works? There's a verse here from James chapter 1, verse 22 which says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Be doers, not hearers only. Be doers, not hearers only. And the rest of this chapter, what James says is anyone who hears the word of God and doesn't do it, anyone who is a hearer and not a doer is like a man who looks in a mirror and sees his image. He gives the impression of like, I look in a mirror and I see that my hair is sticking straight up and I see that uh, like my makeup is all off. Yours, not mine. Like I see that I look a mess and I look at it and I smile and I walk off. You say that person's, that person's a crazy person. Who would look at, like some people didn't see in the mirror. So they don't realize that's how they look. Okay, it happens to all of us. We all have a bad day every now and then. But a person who looks in the mirror, hears the word of God, knows what God is telling them, and then walks away and doesn't do it. Come on. That person is deceiving themselves. And that's what Gideon is doing right here. Why is Gideon asking for another sign? Think about it. Why is he asking for another sign? Is it because he wasn't convinced that God told him? Or is it because he didn't want really to do it? Because I told you, his nature didn't change. He's still a coward. He didn't want to fight the bad guys. He was doing it because God told him, but he didn't want to. Deep inside, he's looking for any excuse not to. So he kept asking him for a sign. And then give me another sign. And give me another sign. And give me another sign. And he played this game, and this is what we do, because deep inside, he didn't want to do it. Now, before we go back to Gideon, I'm not against asking God for a sign. I'm not against it. Let me be clear. And I actually think that that's, that's a good thing to do. But there's certain rules that have to be in place before you do it. Okay? So you have to understand there's certain kind of boundaries or parameters. And I'll give you two of them now. I'll give you the third one in a minute. The first boundary is asking God for a sign to make it clear is last resort, not first option. Is last resort, not first option. First option is not give me a sign. First option is I pray. I spend time in the word of God. I have wise, godly counsel around me. I use the thing in my head called my brain, which God gave me. 
That's the first option. The first option is not, well, if you want me to take this job, make it whatever. If you don't want, that's not where we start. That's sometimes the last resort. And that's sometimes where we really don't know. We've prayed. We've gotten wise counsel. We've in our Bible. Okay, I'm not against it, but that's the last resort, not the first option. The first option is when God commands against drunkenness, you don't need a sign. You don't need a sign to tell you that God doesn't want you to take another drink. It doesn't matter to me who is it that offered to you. It doesn't matter to me what the name of the waitress was or the same initials that you had or whatever it is. It doesn't matter to me what feast, is, what saint is being celebrated in the bar that particular day. St. Patrick, that's what he's interpreting. Okay. <laughs> None of those are signs that God wants you to have another drink. Last resort, not first option. Second ground rule is in order to play this, I need a sign, I need to be in neutral. I must be in neutral. I have to have no agenda. I have to be willing to go left or right. And God, I'm willing here. I may want one or the other, but whatever you say, I'm going to do. True story. Once upon a time, there was a guy who was struggling to make a decision about a job. He was, he had two job offers. Okay, he'd come out of a period where he wasn't working for a while. And then all of a sudden, okay, when it rains, it pours. He had two job offers. And he was really struggling how to make this decision, how to make this decision. He was going back and forth. And he gotten himself and like kind of worked himself up. So he went to his local priest. And his priest wanted one of the jobs more than the other. I don't know why, okay, but for some reason, the priest thought one of them was going to be better than the other. So the priest was really convinced that one is better than the other. But he didn't want to just come out and tell him. So he said, let's leave it in God's hands. So how they did it. The priest said, we're going to take three pieces of paper. On one paper, we're going to write job A. Another paper, we're going to write job B. Another paper, we're going to have a blank. The blank is where the whole thing went downhill, okay? So I don't know where this came from. But anyway, he takes the three pieces of paper, job A, job B, and blank, puts them on the altar, and says, we're going to pray a liturgy together, and then at the end of it, we're going to pick one of them. They picked, and job one came up. Priest wanted job two. So the priest said, two out of three. Two out of three. Second pick came up. Job two. Priest is like, we're on a roll. Let it ride. They put the three back in. Third pick they get, the blank. <laughs> so now all of a sudden, what happened next? The guy went into depression for the next six months. Because the problem was not everyone in the story was neutral. And the problem was there was an agenda. Why was there a third? Why were we picking? Like, where did this come from? The problem is if you're going to go into something asking for a sign, but you have an agenda, you're going to end up more confused than you started. You're going to end up more confused than you started. Back to Gideon. Gideon says to God, don't be angry with me. I know what I'm doing is foolish. I know I'm being silly. I know you gave me this sign. Don't be angry. That's how we started. Don't be angry. Give me this other sign, the fleece with the dew and the one without the dew, whichever one it was right now. Okay, give me the second sign. And God, by this point, says, okay, you know what? Verse 40. And God did so that night. Again, he meets him where he is. God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. God, so loving, so patient, so kind. It's okay, Gideon. I give you the first fleece. Why did I throw in the second fleece? And as I'm reading this, you know what I'm thinking to myself? Okay, again, Gideon here is questioning God's character in a way. Because what Gideon is saying is, God, you told me to fight. And you told me to go to war. And I know that you are God. 
and I know that you are telling me it. But what he's questioning is, how do I know that you're trustworthy? How do I know that you're going to do what you told me? Like, I know it, you told me. And I know this is what you want. But how can I trust you that you're, how can I trust that you're good? How can I trust that you're honest? How can I trust that you're reliable? And I'm thinking to myself, help me out here, especially the older generation. If we said this to our parents, can you imagine? If all our parents did, and all our parents showed us, and all our parents proved for us, and we're like, prove to me that you love me. I think to myself, you know what? If, you, if we went to our parents after all they did and showed me that you're good, you know what our parents would have said? And they would have every right. Say, I'll show you. I'm going to show you a good whooping is what I'll show you. <laughs> Kidding me, show you I'm good. Raise you, feed you, clothe you, do everything for you, take care of you, everything, and show me that you're good. Show me. What's this show me? But that's not God. Like God had every right. Here's what I'm trying to say. God had every right to be insulted by the question. Would you agree with that? God has every right to be insulted and offended. How dare you? How could you, after all? But God doesn't. Why? Here's our key thought for today. Is that God is patient with our faith process and gives us exactly what we need to grow. God is patient with our faith process and gives us exactly what we need to grow. God was thinking big picture. God wasn't offended by the question. This is important because there are times where all of us are in, these, in the place where Gideon is, where we feel like, okay, God, I know you told me, and I know I should, but like, I'm scared. I'm just hesitant. And then we're, then we're going to feel like God must be so angry at me. He must be so frustrated with me. He must be so annoyed at me. And God never. God never. Because God is, faith, is patient with our faith process. God is trying to get Gideon to a certain place. And he's trying to make him a mighty man of valor. And God knows that in order to get there, he needed certain signs. And that's why God gives him exactly what he needs in order to get him where he wants to go. Because faith, as it says there, faith is a process. Faith is not a switch. Get rid of this idea in your mind that some people have faith, some people don't have faith, like a light switch. It's either on or it's off. It's yes or it's no, like Gideon had faith or he didn't have faith. That's not, that's not faith. Faith is a process. And faith is like climbing a mountain. And there's some days that we're moving up the mountain. And some days we slip and fall. And then some days are good days. And some days are rainy days and cloudy days. Faith is a process and it's a lifelong journey. Faith is like a muscle. You're born with muscles in your body. But what do you need to do over the course of your life? You need to exercise. Well, actually, you need two things. You need to nourish the muscle and exercise the muscle for it to get bigger and stronger. Faith is the same way. We're all born with the little seed. Okay, or maybe we inherited from our parents, or maybe it's an intellectual faith in the beginning. That's fine, but it's not going to stay that way. Okay, we need it to grow, and the way we do it is by nourishing it, word of God, mysteries of God, okay, life in the church, we nourish it, but then also we have to exercise it, and that means taking steps of faith and steps of obedience. And the good news is God is patient with us in that process and willing to give us what we need. But... That was the happy part. Let me give you the not-so-happy part. God is patient with us, gives us exactly what we need to grow, not what we want. And this answers an important question. The question is, how come I don't get a sign? I have a job situation. God give me a sign. 
No sauce. I have a relationship situation. Ask me, asking God for a sign, no sign. Should I start a business, not start a business? Should I take this step, not take this step? Should I move here, not move here? God, give us a sign. God, give us a sign. Father Anthony said, you're patient with us, and you give us exactly what we need to grow. And that word need is troublesome. Because what that says, I told you earlier, if you're going to do this, there's two parameters. Number one, asking for a sign, last resort, not first option. Number two, you must be in neutral. Number three, what you see is that God gives us what we need, not what we want. And sometimes we need a sign. But if we're honest, forgive me. The majority of the time, we don't need a sign. We don't need a sign to tell us. We need the courage to obey what God already told us. And I'll put something up here on the screen. I don't want to put this up on the screen. I don't want to. Because you're going to hate me for doing this. And I hate me for doing this. Like, you hate me and I hate me. Like, we all hate me right now. I'm about to say what I'm about to say. But I have to say it because it's the truth. And the truth is this. We want signs. But mature faith is built on obedience, not signs. Sorry. I got to be honest. Faith in the beginning, signs. Signs are very helpful in the beginning to trust in God and to know that he is able and he is mighty God. But truth, matured faith, doesn't grow by signs. Mature faith grows by obedience to the signs already given. <clears throat> I want to give you two stories. Both are the exact opposite. One story of where I needed a sign and God gave it to me, and one story of where I begged God for a sign and God said, no sign. Obey the ones that I already gave you. Let's start with the good one, the happy one. The year was 2000. Okay, back in the Stone Ages, we were riding high. This was the fall of 2000. We had survived the great crisis of Y2K. Remember Y2K? Okay, we survived. We did not, our heads did not explode as we thought. Okay, the banks did not explode. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can Google it afterwards. Okay, see what happened in Y2K. And not only that, but a young father, Anthony, just began dating a young Marianne. Okay, and we had just begun our relationship. This is now, we had started dating in November of 2000, and now we are well into our relationship in December. <laughs> and the exact date was December 8th. And the reason why I know it is because Marianne is, has like a book, which she calls The Miracles. Okay, my name before priesthood was Mike. Okay, I was, I was Mike, Michael Anthony Messa, and then when I became a priest, I got rid of the first name, just went to Anthony, became just practical. Okay, just, so, so she has a book called The Miracle of Mike and Marianne, okay, where she wrote the little stuff in the little handwriting. You know, Marianne, she's good at that stuff, okay? <laughs> and this day is one of the important days I'm about to tell you about, okay? And she has days like with, with like titles on every one. So this was actually shortly after the day that she calls The Miracle of Mike Having Feelings, okay? That's another one of the days, okay? <laughs> low bar, low bar, low bar, low bar. It was a Friday, and it was a time that we were in the, the fast of the Christmas fast, and both Marianne and I were planning to go to church. We used to have liturgy at that time at like 4 o'clock p.m. So we were fasting during the day, and we were going to go to church. And then we both were like uh, serving in the youth ministry. So like Friday was just in church. I got a call that day at work from my priest to ask me about something that had nothing to do with Marianne. But then at the end of the call, he said, how are things going with Marianne? And I said, great. And he said, you know, you guys are happy? I said, very. And he said, when are you getting engaged? And I froze. And I said, why are you asking that? And he said, just asking. And I'm like, did she say something? Like, did she tell you this? Was it her mother? It was her mother? Who, like, who told you this? Like, is everything okay? Like, is something happening? Like, is she like, like, 
And he's like, just relax. Like, I, like, he was like, I'm just making conversation. Like, I'm just saying how. And I'm like flipping out. And he's like, forget about it. Don't worry about it. I'll see you at church. And I hang up the phone with him. I can't think about anything else. I'm panicking. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my goodness. Is she ready and I'm not ready? Is she putting pressure? Like, is she telling him, like, how come the guy? So what I do is I give her a call on the phone. And I tell her, you know, uh, you know, priest just called, whatever. And you okay? Everything okay? And I'm like, I'm, even she remembers, like, I couldn't even say the word engagement. I was like, you know, because the priest just called, and he said something about, you know, that, that, the, the E word. You know, like, he mentioned the E word. And I'm just curious, is it coming from you? Is like, is everything okay? Because I think we're, like, doing great. And she's like, everything's fine. I didn't mention anything. Every, calm down. I'm like, because, you know, like, I'm not ready. And she said, I know you're not ready because we just started dating a month before. And apparently on our first date, I told her five times on the first date, five times, I'm not getting engaged anytime soon. And I'm not making any problems. Making first date, got gentlemen, okay? I was casting over from date one. I told her all five times. She said, you made it very clear. You're okay, you're not in any rush. She put me at ease, said everything is fine. But I still was, because was, I was scared. So I said, okay, let's meet before liturgy. Let's go to our place, McDonald's. Okay. <laughs> so we went to McDonald's, both fasting, not even water. So we're sitting at a McDonald's. Like, we're already cheap. We go to McDonald's. We don't even order at McDonald's. We're sitting there, and I'm telling her, like, like I'm into this, but I'm just not ready. And she put me at such ease because she's the best. Everything's fine. Just relax. And she wrote, okay, like I want to read her quote, her, her, her view, like what she wrote about that day in this, in this book. She said, we met at McDonald's. You told me very clearly that you couldn't be thinking about engagement right now because you have so many fears about it. And I'm still shocked that I told her I was afraid. Like, I don't admit I'm afraid, but apparently I did or she just could see straight through it. Anyway, finished up at McDonald's, went to church, prayed liturgy, one of the best liturgies of my life. And I'm not going to go into the details, but at that liturgy, God gave me a clear sign and God put me at ease. And God said, that's the girl. Don't be afraid. Go ask the girl to marry you. And God gave me a clear sign. And I'm not going to tell you what it is. Okay. <laughs> but I was sure. After church, I couldn't wait to tell her. But again, like we said, we had like youth meetings and youth service, stuff like that. Church finished. I ate the lunch that, the lunch that my mom packed me. Okay, like a good boy. And then we did the youth meeting thing. And I told Marianne, we need to talk tonight. I said, let's go someplace, not McDonald's, let's go someplace, we're going to talk about something serious. We went to Taco Bell. Very good. <laughs> you can write our history in McDonald's and Taco Bell. I got a great wife. <laughs> I got a great wife. She's the best. She's the best. Long story short, Taco Bell, we got our chalupas with the beans or whatever it may be. I told her, I'm ready, let's go. And she's like, what happened? I told her, I'm ready, let's go. God gave me the sign, let's go. Two weeks later, we bought the ring. Four weeks later, we had the engagement ceremony. Six months later, we were married, and, and the rest is history. That was 21 years ago. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if it wasn't for that sign at that liturgy, I, we might still be sitting at McDonald's. Well, I'd be sitting there. She'd have moved on, okay? <laughs> I'd still be sitting at McDonald's. God knew that I was paralyzed by fear, and God said, this boy, is like, this boy needs a sign. So God psh, gave me the sign that he needed. And here we are. That's story one. Story two, fast forward 11 years later. It's now 2011, and now I'm a priest, and I've been a priest for 10 years at the time. The first 10 years before STSA. And those first 10 years of my priesthood, nine of them, I was doing exactly what God wanted me to do. But that last year, I was walking in disobedience to God because God made it very clear that he wanted me to do something different. He wanted STSA to be born. And I won't go into the whole story. Those who attend the membership group have heard me tell the entire story. 
But I knew that God wanted me to do something different. I knew that God wanted to bring an ancient faith to a modern world. I knew that God wanted to build a church where we would be no cultural barriers. And anyone, regardless of any culture, anyone, regardless of any spiritual level, anyone, I knew exactly what God wanted to do, but I was afraid. And this time I was afraid because I'm not, I know it's hard, you may not believe me, but I promise you, I'm not a wave maker. I'm not, like, I'm a rule follower. I'm a obedient. I, I truthfully think I'm a better vice president than a president. Okay, I think I'm a better as a number two. And I, I just, I couldn't see myself, I couldn't see myself disappointing people. I couldn't see myself saying, I want to do this. I couldn't see myself doing it. So because I was afraid, what does a spiritual person do when they're afraid to make a decision? We pray. And I knew what God wanted me to do, and I said, I'm going to pray about it. And I prayed. I waited for God to give me a sign, and I got no sign. And I fasted, and I got no sign. And I kept waiting for God. And I was, like, in my mind, I was like, okay, if this is from God, I'm going to, like, get fired. Like, that would be great. How great would it be if I got fired? I would know exactly what God wants me to do. Fire me. I never got fired. It would be great if the people of the church are like, Father Anthony, leave us and go start another church. Like, that would be great. Never happened. I remember we'd go meet the Pope, and I'm thinking to myself, like, it's the Pope. It's like Jesus, the Pope. Like, like the Pope, for sure, if Jesus wants it, for sure, the Pope is, like, the first one who's going to know. So I would, like, go to see the Pope, and, like, there'd be, like, this long line of priests to, like, go and kiss his hand, and I'd be, you know, like, on my way up, and I'm like, please, God, please, God, please, God. And I, in my mind, I'm going to get to the front, he's going to be like, you, yeah, the, the little one, yeah, come here, come here. The one who doesn't understand Arabic, yeah, come here. And, I, and I, that's in my mind. So I would, like, go, and I'd greet him, okay, and I'd kiss his hand, and I'm like, huh? Like, huh? And as I'm walking away and I'm like, huh? You know what I mean? Like just waiting for him to be like, come back. And nothing, nothing anytime. And then one Sunday when I was at church, I was preaching. And I said in my sermon that we as people of God should be more concerned about what God thinks of us than what people think of us. We should be more worried about disobeying God than disobeying people. Disappointing God than disappointing people. And I said it, but I wasn't living it. Truth is, I was living the exact opposite. I was more afraid of disappointing people, and I didn't mind disobeying God. So I reaped the rewards of that, and I started to suffer the consequences of that, and things in my life started to go downhill. Spiritually, physically, started to experience some different challenges. And again, I'm not going into all the details of it, but the bottom line was I was a priest. I was serving God every Sunday. I was 100% outside the will of God. I was disobeying what God said as a priest, as someone who's at the altar. But here's the thing. There's no wiggle room in obedience. There's no like, well, you're doing so much good, it's okay that you disobeyed this. Like either you're obeying or disobeying. God gave me clear. It didn't matter that I'm a priest. It didn't matter that not only I, I, I was still confessing and I was still praying, I was taking confessions. I was leading prayer meetings. I was giving Bible study. But the bottom line is I was disobeying God. And I never got a sign. But God made it clear to me. I can give you a sign. I already told you what I want. I want you to take the step. The only way out of the pit that you're in, so what God said, the only way out of the pit that you're in is take the step of obedience. Stop waiting for a sign. That's a, that's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a way just to, to, to let your fear control you waiting for the sign. And I did it. And I never regret it. And every one of the challenges, again, those who are in membership group know this, Every one of the challenges that I went through during that year from disobeying God, 
God resolved every single one of them better than I could have imagined. And he made it clear that when you obey, when you obey, never question what God tells you to do. Because this is what I learned at that time. The more we move forward in obedience, the more God reveals himself, not in signs and in wonders, but in relationship and in intimacy. I wanted a sign, but I didn't need a sign. I had already gotten the sign. What I needed was to obey. And the more we move forward in obedience, the more God tells us A, and we take a step A. God tells us B, we take a step. The more we move forward in obedience, the more he gives us. But not signs. Much better than signs. Like signs, much better, which is relationship and intimacy. And, you know, maybe that's where you find yourself today. Maybe you are kind of where I was at that point in time, which is like God's told you, God's made it clear, but you're kind of playing this like, God, give me a sign. God, give me a sign. But really, it's just your fear. He's already given you the sign. He's already assured you that he's with you. He's made his will clear in every page of scripture. Like, you know, and maybe, like, I love you. I feel your pain. I want you to get a sign. That's what I want for you. But I'm also honest. And I'm telling you that maybe he's already given you the sign and maybe you're waiting for something that's never going to come. And maybe instead what's needed is to take a step of faith, a step of obedience, because that's the only way to be blessed and grow. I want to leave you with this verse, Psalm 34, verse 4 and 8. This is actually from our, if those who are following the Lent reading plan, this is actually from our Monday reading. It touched me so much. It said, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him you're struggling to trust God to take that step, take this, take Psalm, take the entire Psalm 34. It's a beautiful Psalm. But take these two verses. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Taste and see that the Lord is good. If I have ice cream up here and I tell you this ice cream is good, this ice cream is good, this ice cream is good, you say, prove it to me. Well, what I say? I can't prove it to you. Taste it and you'll see. Like there's nothing I can do to show you the goodness, the sweetness, of the ice cream. But you got to taste and see. Same thing with God. How do I know God is? How do I know God will? How do I know? Taste and see. Taste and see. Whenever you look at people at the end of their life and you hear about regrets, all regrets that people have, not all, I shouldn't say all, but the majority of the top regrets are what I call regrets of inaction. Regrets of, I should have. I wish I would have. I wish I would have taken that step. I wish I would have been obedient there. I wish I would have done that. And I think back to that step in 2011, I think to myself, man, if I didn't take that step, I would be kicking myself in the pants or robe. I'd be kicking myself in the robe every single day for the rest of my life. It would be such a weight of regret on my shoulders, and I thank God because so much blessing from those two decisions, okay, not the, just the one, the two, okay, the two decisions. The first, nothing without the first, okay. From those two decisions, I can't imagine what my life would be like if I didn't take those two steps. And what I want to say is with each one of us, God is patient with our faith process. He is patient, and he knows that you're asking for that sign. He's patient. He is not angry. He's not frustrated. He's not ready to pull the plug on you. But with that said, Mature faith is not built on more signs. It's built on more obedience. So the challenge for each one of us 
and to take that faith muscle and start to exercise it, okay? And not wait for the muscles just to come, but to start to exercise it. And my prayer for each one of us is that we would have the prayer this week, or we'd have the courage this week to take a tiny step of obedience, even if it's small, to that which God has already revealed. And I promise you, as you do that, he will continue to reveal himself more and more in relationship and intimacy. Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, because we know that you are good. You've made your goodness apparent time and time and time again. Forgive us, Lord, for questioning and doubting. And give us, Lord, the courage that we need to walk in obedience even when it's hard. And I know, Lord, that when we do that, that you will reward every single one of us and bless us in ways that we could never possibly imagine. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints. Hear us as we pray, thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus.